If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, I'll read the first five verses. And if you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 802, page 802. I know that we've been advertising this is uh, the beginning of our Matthew series. Well, we'll get to Matthew, but there's some important things that need to be discussed before we get to Matthew 1, verse 1. So, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and we are standing because God's word is holy. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit in a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to Yahweh. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to Yahweh as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says Yahweh of hosts. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. It is of great importance that we understand history. So that we all rightly understand the coming of the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited King, Jesus Christ. Perhaps you believe, or you have heard often in our age, that the Old Testament Scriptures, or the working of God in the Old Testament, is not important. That it's not needed for the understanding of the New Testament. Let me state very plainly that the Old Testament Scriptures, or the working of God, are needed to be grasped by us as Christians to grasp the New Testament message. The Old Testament Scriptures are extremely important for us as Christians. To talk about a promise fulfilled, you and I must first look back at the promise that was made. To understand a genealogy and its importance, you must go back in history and learn the words that the Lord has spoken. We must hear of the promised hope in the Old Testament, before we can rightly understand and fully appreciate Christ, the hope of glory that comes in the New Testament. History has been rightly called God working in His story. Today, we are a part of God's story. This is God working today in 2023. This is all His story. From before time began, God existed. He is preeminent. He has always existed. He is the preeminent author of all things. He has caused all things to come to pass. He has spoken. He has preserved his words for us, the Holy Bible. And our short lives in his story are to be lived knowing him and serving him. Anything less is not acceptable. 
God has given us life, and that life is to be lived for his name, for his glory. God is the main character. God is the hero. He is worthy of every second of our life being lived to the praise of his glory. His goodness, his justice, his righteousness, his holiness, it deserves our complete reverence. Just think about those impactful words for a second. There is never a time in your life, there is never a moment, never a second that God is not worthy of our worship. History, all of history, it is the working of God. And as his children, we must never label anything in the Old Testament or from history as unimportant. In fact, if you believe God's word is breathed out, that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work, you believe history is important. The history that we find in the sacred scriptures are words breathed out by him. They are superior when compared to the multitude of preachers and books providing life principles taken out of context and who are focused upon our best life now. As a pastor I admire, it said, if your best life is now, you're headed to hell. The glory of God working in history and the building of his eternal kingdom is beautiful and precious and so very important. So before we begin Matthew 1, verse 1, we need to understand the connecting bridge that exists. And this entire sermon is on that connecting bridge that exists. So the Old Testament and New Testament are separated by what is known as the 400 silent years. The 400 silent years. During this time, there was no prophetic word from God. But do not misunderstand the 400 silent years as God not at work. Do not think, just because there is no Scripture being breathed out, do not picture God as taking a break or He is on a long winter's nap. God is always at work. He never changes. He is always focused upon His glory. He keeps His promise, every single promise that He has made, and He will bring every promise to its divine fulfillment. He will bring every child that He has purchased by the blood of His Son safely home in His perfect timing. The 400 years of silence was 400 years of God directing all things for the coming of God the Son, Jesus Christ. The Lord's promise of a coming King carried His people through 400 years of silence. We go to Genesis 3, verse 15. And you're going to hear lots of scriptures. I would encourage you to write them down. Genesis 3, verse 15. We have the telling that God is going to make everything that's gone wrong right. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So from the virgin Mary would come a son and he would crush Satan. The offspring's heel would be bruised, but he would be victorious over the enemy. Christ would come and he would die on the cross, but he would rise atoning for the sins of all who call on him. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. 
Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired Yahweh your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And Yahweh said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. A greater prophet would come. Christ would fulfill this. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. The virgin Mary would give birth to a son. Emmanuel, God with us, with us. Christ with us. I mean, the very fact that God the Father would send God the Son to this earth should be astounding to us as sinners. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. So a Savior was promised, a Son was given, wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government will increase. There will be no end of his peace. His throne and kingdom will have no end. Isaiah 53, verses 1-7. through Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was a spies and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The life of Christ, the death of Christ, a lamb led to the slaughter, the atonement of Christ. By his stripes, his children are healed. Christ will come. The iniquity of his children will be placed on him. Christ will bring salvation. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be 
destroyed. God's kingdom shall not be destroyed. It will never pass away. And for us who are God's children right now at this moment, praise God. You have something that cannot be taken. You have something that is forever and eternal, that you belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Micah 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Eberleth, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Jesus Christ is that ruler. A divine ruler, fully man and fully God. God put on flesh, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, ruler in Israel. His coming foretold from the ancient of days. The Old Testament scriptures are beautiful and precious. Let us not forget the covenants of God. The covenants of God that he made with his people. That God was seeing to his promise in the 400 years of silence. The Abrahamic covenant, covenant one, we find in Genesis 12, one through three. Yahweh said to Abram, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised a great nation that through this family would come a blessing, a blessing that would extend to all the families of the earth. This promise is listed again in Genesis chapter 15 and again in Genesis chapter 17. This promise, this covenant is all God. His promise, His work. He is seeing to His promises. From the Abrahamic covenant, we go to the Mosaic covenant. In the Mosaic Covenant, we are seeing the Abrahamic Covenant unfold. Exodus 2, verse 24. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 6 and 8. For you are a people holy to Yahweh your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. I love these words right here. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that Yahweh set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it's because Yahweh loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that Yahweh has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. If you want humility, there it is. Because that promise true was not just for them, but it's also for us. We are so undeserving of Christ. From there we go to the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel 7, beginning in verse 8. Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I took you from the pasture. 
from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, Yahweh declares to you that Yahweh will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. And I look it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This we find a double prophecy fulfilled first in Solomon followed by that of Jesus Christ. At the throne of Jesus, His kingdom, it is forever. The Lord of hosts, Yahweh, is seeing to it. Are you understanding how important history is? That we don't come in here this morning as a gathered people and we, we listen to something that was written a long, long time ago, and we think about what Jesus has done for us, we look back from the beginning before time began through God's holy word, and we see the Lord is keeping his every promise. That if you're saved, you're part of that promise he has made. If you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Christ alone for your salvation... How glorious it is to think upon Christ has promised this and Christ has done it. Now in the New Testament, the new covenant, Jesus Christ, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares Yahweh. But this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know Yahweh, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Jesus Christ alone is the new covenant. It is through Christ alone that we have a relationship with God. It is not by works. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. And anything else that is preached, that's not the gospel. Ezekiel 36. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says Yahweh God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I love this because it reminds our generation now that is so much about ourselves that your salvation is not about you. Your salvation is about the glory of God. 
He says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the countries, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Even now, as Christians who have been justified, we are being sanctified because God is seeing to it. Luke 24, 25 through 27, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Realize this is, this is New Testament. So you, so you had like 400 years of silence. You've had this gap. Jesus is in his 30s. And then Jesus is saying, Oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus did not dismiss the Old Testament. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Christ interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. First Peter chapter 1 Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. I mean, these covenants, the Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, and New, they are all important. I love the words of John Frame here. He said, so the work of Christ is the source of all human salvation from sin. The salvation of Adam and Eve. Salvation of Noah, Abraham. Salvation of Moses and David. And all of God's people in every age, past, present, or future. He said everyone who has ever been saved has been saved through the new covenant in Christ. Everyone who is saved receives a new heart, a heart of obedience through the new covenant work of Christ. The Lord has kept His promise of salvation found in the Old Testament through the 400 years of silence, and he has preserved his word for us to know how it has been fulfilled. If you're a history buff, in 1947, a great historical discovery was made. The Dead Sea Scrolls. The story goes that two boys were looking for a lost goat And above them were all these caves, and so they were throwing rocks into these caves to try to scare the goat so the goat would come out. And as they did, they threw a rock, hit a large jar full of scrolls, and they heard something break. If you're an adult, you probably remember at some point when you've broken something. This cave was one of 11 caves in which scrolls were later discovered adding up to 900 historical scrolls. Full scrolls were found, including that of Isaiah. Every book of the Old Testament, except that of Esther, was discovered. And some of the scrolls were dating back to 3 B.C., and that's a 1,000 years older than anything that we had already had. By the year 2002, every fragment was finally published, and most can be seen now digitally. 
that even now the discovery, this discovery not only provided biblical scrolls, but also historical documents that provided insight into historical events and cultures at that time. Even in 1947, the Lord provided more proof of his breathed-out word and the reliability of what we possess today. Listen to the words of Joel Beek concerning the 400 years of silence. These were centuries in which the Lord made Israel and the nations wait and prepare for the coming of the promised Messiah. There were now no new scriptures during these days. The Old Testament, however, spoke to these waiting generations. It called Israel and the nations to repentance and to wait for the fulfillment of the prophecies. During this silence, Rome was a powerhouse over the Mediterranean world. Paganism ruled. But the Lord would still advance his church and grow his everlasting kingdom. After the close of the Old Testament, for about a hundred years, Judea remained Persian territory under the governor of Syria. Sometime between 334 B.C. and 331 B.C., Alexander the Great defeated the Persian king, thus the Lord's people going under Greek control. Alexander's rule was a time of great wickedness, and in 323 B.C., Alexander died. After Alexander's death, struggle occurred among his generals, and his empire was divided as foretold in Daniel. When Ptolemus ruled, the Jews had religious freedom. When Antiochus ruled, he persecuted the Jews for their faith. Religious freedom was gained for a short time after a war lasting 24 years. But unrest came again soon under Herod the Great, who ruled at the birth of Christ. The 400 years between the Testaments may, be, may have been silent in that they had no prophets and no words from God, but they were far from being calm or peaceful. There were times during that silence that Old Testament scriptures were gathered together and burned. Observance of the Sabbath was ex- altogether prohibited. Circumcision was against the law. The faithful were put to death because of their faith. But through all this, God was at work. His divine plan was advancing and salvation was coming. Nothing can stop the Lord in fulfilling his plan. As we move from the intertestamental period to the harmony of the Gospels, I want to remind us that the Gospels are all about Jesus Christ. 500 years ago, I don't think that would need to be said. The Gospels are not about us. The Gospels are not about successful life principles or something to add to your life. They are about the one in whom life is found. Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah, the suffering servant, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He is mankind's only salvation. Acts chapter 4, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. If you need encouragement, Christ is alive and well today. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As we begin our journey in preparing for the first verse of Matthew, I want to begin by asking you two questions. Who or what is your hope in? If it's not Christ alone, you have a false hope. What are you banking on for your salvation before a holy and just God? If a tragedy were to happen to you today and you were to die and you were to stand before the Lord and the Lord were to look at you and ask you a question, and he said, why should I let you in? What would you say? As a Christian, you need to know the answer. And the answer is nothing but Christ alone. I have repented of my sins. I put my faith, hope, and trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. I have nothing to bring. It's simply to Christ I cling. Mardever declared, many of our problems come from attaching our hopes to things that were not made to bear them. These four Gospels, they are treasures in which they instruct us. That salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let me summarize. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You and I do not deserve salvation. It's by grace that we are saved if we are saved. Faith alone. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. That God has actually given you the faith to believe. That's why you believe. That your faith grabs hold of the righteousness of Christ. It's not your righteousness, it's Christ and his righteousness. The Old Testament promises of a Messiah coming, they are fulfilled in the New Testament Gospels and the coming of Christ. Many are still waiting for a Savior to come. The Savior has come. His name is Jesus. Gospel means good news. Euangelion. The proclamation of the grace of God manifest and pledged in Christ. Isaiah 40, verse 9, we hear of this. It gets you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who said to Zion, your God reigns. The only good news is that of the gospel. It's that of Christ. The four gospels tell us of the good news, the coming of King Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the commission of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. The four gospels are all about the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And yet so often we see verses pulled from God's holy word from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and we make it all about us when it's all about Jesus. The gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are known as these synoptic gospels. If you're writing notes, it's S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C. I'm a bad speller. Synoptic means seen together or a similar summary. These three Gospels, they share a common point of view. They focus on Jesus and his ministry in Galilee. They share many of the same stories from the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus. The Gospel of John is different. 
It's different in that it's not focused upon Jesus in Galilee, but Jesus and his time in Judea. John also does not record any parables at all. In fact, the Gospel of John only has two shared events with Matthew, Mark, and Luke before Palm Sunday. Jesus walking on water and Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, some people might say, whoa, 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 hold it, hold it. There's major differences and inconsistencies between the four Gospels. There's not. When you put these four Gospels together, upon careful observation and tender handling of what God has breathed, these four Gospels are reliable and they give us the history of Christ. All the 66 books of the Bible are reliable and consistent. John MacArthur declared, we must understand the Bible is actually one book with one divine author though it was written over a period of 1,500 years through the pens of, of almost 40 human writers. The Bible itself speaks for itself. There are no contradictions. And it claims to be the Word of God over 2,000 times in the Old Testament alone. The words, literally these three words, words of God, are found more than 40 times. In the four gospel accounts, if they were exactly the same, telling the story the same way, with the exact same words at every turn, then we might have some reasons to be suspicious and concerned. The four gospels have a combined focus of being both theological as well as apologetic. In these gospels, we learn who God is, who Jesus is, who the Trinity is, his life, his ministry, his teaching, the work, and his death. We learn of his resurrection, his commands, his ascension into heaven, his return. We also are instructed as his children how to live, who to treasure, and what to do with our life. It is not enough to know the gospel. We must know the gospel and obey what Christ has said. Let's look at the Gospel of Mark for a second. The Gospel of Mark describes Jesus as a suffering servant. The audience of this letter is that of Gentiles. This Gospel, the Gospel of Mark, it's a Gospel of action, listing 20 accounts of Jesus performing miracles. But Mark is all about the suffering servant. Jesus is the one who would suffer. He is the servant that has come from heaven. He has come to suffer. The Gospel of Luke. Luke is that Jesus is the Son of Man or Jesus is the ideal man. His audience is the Gentiles, focusing on the Son of Man coming to seek and to save lost sinners. We need the suffering servant and we also need the Son of Man. The Gospel of John is that Jesus is God. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a man. He is God. The audience is Gentile and Jewish. This gospel strengthens believers, but he also provides a heavy appeal to unbelievers that if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you are not saved and you are dead in your sin. The gospel of Matthew, which we're going to be in for a long time, Matthew points to the truth that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is sovereign and he is king over all. The audience is Jewish. 
When these four Gospels are brought together like four strands coming together, woven to form a blanket, they provide the perfect teaching of the Gospel. The suffering servant, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, that Jesus Christ is God. You put all these together in a harmony and you understand so much. You, we find in these Gospels the preeminent Christ. We find the G- genealogy of Jesus. You find the birth of Jesus being foretold. The birth of Jesus happening in Bethlehem. Jesus presented in the temple. Jesus as a young boy growing up. The baptism of Christ. The temptation of Christ. The beginning of the ministry of Christ. You find the calling of the disciples. You find the miracles and the teachings of Jesus. You find the rejection of Jesus by his people. You find the training of the disciples, him sending them out to go and to share the good news and how to do that verse by verse. You find the training of the disciples, the power of Jesus over demons and nature. You find the resurrecting power of Jesus to raise the dead. You find the power of Jesus in feeding thousands and walking on water. You see the authority of Jesus in teaching truth that people were astounded from a man who had no education, saying, who is this man who speaks with such authority? You find the transfiguration of Jesus. You find the forgiveness of Jesus. The parables of Jesus. Jesus cleansing the temple. Jesus declaring the greatest commandment that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You also see Jesus calling out hypocrites. Individuals standing up and doing things to be seen by others. And Jesus says, ah, that's your reward. You find Jesus telling of his own death. Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper that we're about to partake of. Jesus leaving his disciples. Jesus leaving the crowds. Time and time and time again to get alone to pray to his Father. You find the betrayal of Jesus. You find the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. You find the commission of Jesus, the promise of his return, and the ascension of Jesus. Next week, we'll begin looking at the author and the date and the background, the setting and the themes that we find in Matthew, as well as many other important features. And by God's grace, I'll be able to provide a survey or examination of the entire gospel of Matthew before we dive into verse 1. Earlier, I asked you two questions. Who or what is your hope in? And what are you banking on for your salvation before a holy and just God? I want to add two more questions now. Are you able to articulate the good news of Jesus Christ? As we spend probably years walking through Matthew, it would be a tragedy if we're a member of this church and we're unable to proclaim the good news of Christ that saves sinners. Are you able to articulate the good news of Jesus Christ? Can you say that Jesus came from heaven to earth, born a virgin, that he lived a perfect and sinless life? He claimed to be God. He proved to be God by his works He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Indeed, the words that we have, Jesus beginning his ministry will repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. If your gospel does not include repentance, you're in trouble. Repent of your sins and believe upon Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. If Jesus, he claimed to be God, he proved to be God, he was nailed to the cross, they crucified him. The third day he rose from the dead. He appeared to thousands. Don't discount the fact that there were witnesses. Even today, in 2023, we take great value in the fact of witnesses and eyewitness. There is an eyewitness account of thousands that saw him rise from the dead. His disciples, they were crushed. And then when he had been risen, he lived. They lived their lives to the death for Christ. He gave the great commission. Then he ascended into heaven where he has all power and all authority. And he promised to come again. And right now he is interceding for his children. Even now, for you right now. He's interceding for you. If you are his And if you're not his, if you have not repented of your sins, if you've not trusted in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, you are hopeless with God's wrath remaining on you. Repent and believe in the gospel. The second question I have for you, will you live on God's word and allow your heart to rest upon this gospel? Jeremy Use this verse earlier, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, we don't embrace something because God has done it, and then we just stand back and wait for his return We embrace salvation because God has provided it by his grace and then we proclaim this good news so that others can be saved. Let me close with this encouragement. No matter your season, I encourage you, begin your day with prayer and the reading of God's word. I already know what some of you are thinking. I'm not a morning person, but you need to put on the armor before you go to war. You need to talk to God in the mornings. Begin it with prayer. Have your mind transformed. Read God's word. Be reminded that when you go out those doors, you're in a vast sea of lostness. When you rise, feast on Jesus and faithfully serve him. I pray that as we walk through the gospel of Matthew, it would not only be time corporately together as a church that we would grow in understanding who Christ is more and what he has done, but it would also be time in which we would get alone with God and read Matthew when it's just us and the Lord will bless that time as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, I pray that what I have said has been pleasing to you. If there is anything that is wrong, anything that I have misspoken, Lord, forgive me and cause the audience not to remember any of that. Your word is enough. In fact, you said man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that has come out of your mouth. We have your breathe out words that we can grasp and we can hold and we can cherish and we can memorize and we can meditate on, Father. I pray that we as your people would abide. We would cherish 
what you have said. That we would talk about the good news of Christ. For it is so good. Father, be slow in the revealing of our sin. Don't dump it all on us at once. May we turn from those sins and live for your name and for your glory. Tear away our false kingdoms that we've been building that won't last. (laughs) And remind us through your word that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that will not fade. How good you are. Teach us more about you, more about God the Son, and more about God the Holy Spirit as we, by your grace, will walk through this gospel together. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, the name is above all names that we pray, and the name in which we must have our salvation, we pray. Amen.